God's wisdom on justice. God's wisdom on justice. What are your thoughts about the title of this sermon this morning? Uh, This is a word that's flung around just about every day. Uh, It's a word that can bring several conflicting feelings at once. It's a word that news channels use to fire up their base, either using it favorably or unfavorably. Uh, This is even more true when it's combined with another word that happens frequently, resulting in the term social justice. Uh, What are we to think about when we think about justice? Is social justice good or bad? Is that framing too simplistic? Unfortunately, when it comes to many of these ideas, we can be more discipled by the winsomeness of cultural commentators than by the wisdom of our Creator. And my hope is that as we work through some of God's wisdom in the Proverbs this morning, we'll be more equipped to understand and to live in light of God's truth for us. Live in light of God's truth for us. If you do have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs 21, verse 3. That'll be our kind of key passage, the first one that we turn to. But before we do that, and as we look at this idea of uh, justice, um, I think it's helpful to lay some groundwork. There's much confusion that exists in in competing definitions of terms and the way that they're used. So I want to offer some brief definitions of justice kind of before we uh, even get going. And and hopefully we can see that as we turn to the text, we see these definitions being fleshed out there as well. Uh, Leiderbach and Leno write this, The biblical notion of justice is the idea of putting things right. Right with God and then right with each other, with society as whole, and with the entire cosmos. In the words of John Perkins, justice is any act of reconciliation that restores any part of God's creation back to its original intent, purpose, or image. Justice is making right any of the many things that have gone wrong in this very good world that God made. And among the very good human beings that he created to inhabit it. So again, we can see both of these definitions, these these ideas are rooted, they are not divorced, they are grounded in who God is. And so as we explore this idea of justice, we're going to look at it from two angles. First, in relationship with God, and second, in relationship with one another. Typically in discussions about justice today, there's much stress on kind of the horizontal axis, right? Horizontal axis, like our relationships with one another. But if we're to understand justice biblically, then we need to understand it in relationship with the God who is just. See, God does not just possess justice. He's not just one part just. God is just. See, justice and righteousness can be used synonymously. God is a righteous God. God is a just God. God is love. God is justice. Or we could reverse it and say it this way. Justice has a name. 
and the name is Jesus. There we see justice most on display in the person, the character of Jesus Christ. Letterback and Leonard know write this, the biblical notion of justice is thoroughly theological in nature. That means it's grounded in who God is. It begins with and is grounded in the nature and the character of God. And this is where many approaches to justice fall short. They focus on the horizontal aspect to the neglect of the vertical. And I think we need to look at the vertical first and foremost. This is where it's grounded. And we see this over and over again in the Proverbs. So first, justice in relationship with God or to God. The first thing that we notice about justice as we explore the Proverbs is that justice is good. Justice is good. We see that in the key verse that you're flipped open to right now. Proverbs 21, verse 3, to do justice, righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. It's better than sacrifice. This relates to the goodness of, of justice before the eyes of the Lord. It helps us also see that justice is not merely external actions, but it's a character trait. Proverbs uh, twelve five gives us more insight since it discusses how the very thoughts of the righteous are just. It's not just what people say or type online that defines what justice is. Instead, the righteous have just thoughts. Too often, the quest for justice flows not from a righteous and loving heart, but from wrath and revenge. But the just... Those who pursue justice, those who are grounded in justice, their very thoughts are just. Are your thoughts just? Are they righteous? The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Proverbs 29, verse 26. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. This verse stresses how people often look to rulers and those in power to bring justice. Seeking the face refers to seeking their favor, hoping that they look favorably in order to bring peace on earth. But ultimately, justice comes from God. Proverbs teaches us elsewhere, doesn't it? In Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And here's the danger that we could fall into in our desire for peace and goodness on earth. Like we should steward our responsibility as citizen well in this, in this life. But ultimately we need to trust in the Lord. We know things have gone out of balance if we stop praying for those in leadership and instead put our hope for peace, for justice, for tranquility, whatever, whatever synonym we want to put in there, we place that all in the next election. Right, this happens on both sides of the political aisle, doesn't it? You want peace, you want happiness, you want justice, vote this way. 
Seek the face of this person and things will go well. Proverbs is telling us ultimately justice is from God and to God. Our prayer life can help diagnose where we stand and where we believe justice is truly from. The beginning of the chapter, uh, the beginning of, of Proverbs speaks as God is the one who gives wisdom, knowledge, and understanding so that people can discern what is righteous and just. In a world that seeks to define justice in its own terms, we need people to be people who pray for wisdom for for God to give us what we need in order to rightly live. Again, I'm not downplaying the importance of elections or being good stewards. I'm saying, where does our ultimate hope lie? And one way that that's revealed is how we're praying. Who are we praying to? What are we praying for? Are we praying for leaders? So justice is, is good. It's from God. It's something to be pursued. Justice, we also see in the Proverbs, is concerned with the right punishment for evil. It's concerned with the right punishment for evil. Justice, or Proverbs eleven twenty one, Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Proverbs eleven thirty one, If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and sinner? One commentator writes this on verse 31, If the righteous find that even... For their comparably minor sinful actions, God repays them in this life. Then how much more should the wicked sinner be assured that he will not escape this life without his sins coming to bear upon him? It even seems to imply that this punishment, this wrath, will be seen even in this life. We're talking about this in, in Sunday school as we're reflecting on some of these proverbs together with, with the students. And what do, you, what do you think that means? So the students were saying, well, maybe that means like they, just, they feel the guilt and the weight of their sin. They understand it. Maybe things appear right, but inwardly it's difficult. We're kind of wrestling with the idea that could be one thing, or maybe they're actually at peace with their sin. How much more an indication of God's wrath against sin? Sam Albury said this, We can see God's wrath in this. He gives us what we want. We can see God's wrath in this. He gives us what we want. What if it's pursuing what you think will satisfy and it does bring some temporary satisfaction? all the while keeping you blind to the reality of your sin before a holy God. Of your need for Christ the Redeemer.
what's a better circumstance to be in poverty and well aware of our need for Jesus or to be flush with riches and totally oblivious? Scripture says it's better to understand our need. To rush to Christ, who is the one who saves. Over and over again in these Proverbs, we see the the hope that punishment will come to those who are deserving of it. This divine justice is a hope for all who are presently afflicted. Too often, the neglect of divine justice is a catalyst for misguided attempts at earthly justice today. It also can downplay the severity of sin in this world and the true punishment that awaits. While there are God-appointed authorities that carry out temporal judgment in this life, and they should, it is not final, it's not perfect. If we understand that justice is first and foremost vertical and in relationship with God, it spares us from needing complete justice here and now and even opens the door for mercy. In his book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice, uh, Scott David Allen uh, recounts the story of uh, Rachel Denhollander, um, who was sexually assaulted by uh, Larry Nasser. Um, and uh, she was a gymnast for the U.S. Olympic team, one of the first to kind of come out against him and file the uh, uh, police complaint that, that led to his conviction. It says this, during the trial, the judge gave Denhollander permission to speak directly to Nasser. Her testimony revealed a deep wisdom about justice and mercy in the shadow of the cross. This courageous Christian wife, mother, and attorney spoke of the terrible evil Nasser committed. You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others. She reminded Nasser that in addition to earthly judgment, he would face a future heavenly judgment in which all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Yet justice isn't the whole story. There is also mercy, and that is where Den Hollander turned next. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you've done, the guilt will be crushing, and that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. Then Den Hollander did something miraculous. She offered Nasser her forgiveness. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt. So you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God. Which you need far more than forgiveness from me, from me though I extend that to you as well. She's able to offer forgiveness because she's aware of ultimate justice. And she's aware of what that means with the Holy God and that that Holy God provided a way through Christ. Too often, the world trying to grasp with this idea of justice, they do not have the category for grace and mercy. Because they do not have a God who is just and merciful. Holy and gracious. And we do. 
We don't have to pick and choose between the two. We have a God who is both. So justice is concerned with right punishment for evil. But justice is also concerned with the heart behind the action. The heart behind the action. We read before the key verse there, Proverbs 21.3, it says it's better to do righteousness and justice than sacrifice. This does not mean that sacrifices were not important, but it was getting to the heart of the matter. It mattered if someone's heart was in it or not. Were they leaning in or away from the action that was taking place? We can do a lot of good things from an outward perspective, but the Lord looks on the heart. Those who are laboring to end abortion, who are concerned about racial inequality and a myriad of other social issues can be doing so out of hearts that are far from God. It is not love of God and neighbor that motivates them, but love of themselves or the approval of others. If we're not careful, we can spend more time trying to appear righteous than living righteously. Instead, what we do should flow from who we are. Proverbs 28.5, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Are we seeking the Lord or merely trying to pursue a faulty justice rooted in our own desire to appear righteous? If we're not grounded in the love of God, if we're not certain of his coming judgment, if we're not resting in his word, we're going to miss the mark. We're going to miss the mark. You see, God's concerned with the heart behind the action. Where's our heart? It's so easy, it's so tempting to simply want to appear righteous. Of saying certain things, of retweeting something, of sharing a post, of, of, of trying to appear and, and put our, this attached to our names so that I appear to be good in this camp. But what is actually flowing from? Is it flowing from a heart that seeks, seeks the Lord? Are we seeking the Lord in his wisdom in these issues? Or are we simply regurgitating what we hear or what we think might be right? And first and foremost, justice is in relationship with God and the God who is just. Secondly, justice is in relationship to one another. Perhaps you're thinking, yes, all this talk of justice is, is just arrogant boasting. It's just messed up pursuits. It's just people thinking and trying to make themselves look good in front of the world. But here's where we can go wrong the other way. If we're not careful, we can be more passionate about correcting faulty approaches to justice than grieving over true injustices in this world. And the proverb gives us some examples of areas that we should be concerned with. What are some areas of concern? First, we see that justice is concerned with care for the poor. Care for the poor. There are many Proverbs that discuss the importance of of working hard and, and Scripture that talk about how important it is to provide for your family, but that doesn't negate the wisdom related to caring for the poor. In fact, Proverbs 17.5 says, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will go unpunished, will not go unpunished. 
How one relates to the poor can be an attack on God. The parallel in this proverb talks about how poverty may be a result of calamity that someone has faced, a circumstance beyond this person's control. And this can happen often. We live in a broken world. A person can be wise with their money, invest smartly in the market tanks, and the the housing market crashes. They lose their job. They could no longer be able to do their job because of an injury. We have to be careful not to join the seat of the mocker in how we treat others less fortunate than ourselves. Look at how the Lord deals with uh, Edom in, in Edom in, in Ezekiel thirty-five verse fifteen. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate, so I will deal with you. You shall become desolate. You see this people mocking, making fun of the, the fortunes of the people of God. And God says, you're making fun of them? It's going to come to you as well. Poverty may also come because someone is being oppressed. Think about how insulting it would be if a person, uh, you were to kind of see a, a slave in torn clothing you were to mock them, make fun of them. Oh, they must not be a hard worker. They must not be able to afford clothes that aren't ripped. No, the person is working incredibly hard. They're a slave. They're being, they're part of, they're being oppressed. Like, it's not because of their work ethic. It's because of this condition. So we have to be careful um, of limiting kind of poverty to kind of one uh, type of situation of, of just not hard work or, or people not caring, but there's, there's calamity, there's, there's circumstances, there's oppression. Uh, we have to be uh, aware of those things. And regardless, we are called to, uh, to care for those who are poor. The righteous, um, look at this, this contrast between those who are wicked doing that and then the righteous man. The righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. The righteous know and stand up for the poor. This may be the material poor or the socially poor. Some are unable to get ahead because they're being oppressed. We should stand up for them. We should give voice to the voiceless. And this is actually what we see in Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Giving voice to the voiceless is something that we're called to do as we pursue justice in this world. One of the ways that we do that is giving a voice to those who can't speak themselves. Don't we see that? Isn't that exactly what Christians are doing as they stand up on behalf of the unborn? We stand up and speak against the evils of, of abortion. We're giving voice to the voiceless. Right. Here's another tragic thing with, with this idea of, of, of justice and social justice discussion today. Often it's limited to certain categories and certain ways that that's done. As if, if you care about justice, if you care about these things, then you care about these three issues and you'll execute them in these four ways. 
No, we don't have to be constrained to that. Caring for the rights of the unborn, that is a justice issue that we should pursue. That is giving voice to the voiceless. That's a social issue, justice issue of today. That is a systemic social issue today. Something that pervades society. We have companies that are saying, you want to have an abortion? I will, I will pay you to go to the next state over to get rid of that baby so that you can get back on the assembly line next week. I don't think that's a social justice issue. Sure, that's much easier than paying for, my, for, for, for adequate health care. That's much easier than giving me leave. I'm getting a little off, off. <clears throat> Until that's something I'm passionate about. But that's exactly what we're called to do. We need to speak up and, and, and speak into issues that uh, others can't speak. This, this was actually like Martin Luther King Jr., this was his big complaint in his letter of, uh, from Birmingham jail. <laughs> and he's like, you, you guys understand what we're dealing with here? Like just, like what these laws and what this, these injustice, racial injustices of, of this, like what they're doing to us? And he's speaking out to other pastors and they're like, hey, just wait, just, just be calm, bud. He's like, that's easy for you to say. Like, you're not dealing with this every single day. And nobody cares what we say. They care what you say. Please give your voice. It matters. What was being said in that day, we can say today as well. Specifically, again, in this idea of giving voice to the voiceless. Um, idea of abortion, for sure. So justice is concerned with care for the poor, not just the material poor, but also the socially poor, those who are unable to speak to themselves for themselves. And also justice is concerned with fair business transactions. Fair business transactions, we see this in uh, Proverbs 11.1, 1, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. This idea of false balance, a lot of times uh, money would be weighed on scales. And so if a uh, business person or merchant were were to be uh, very dishonest and to lack integrity, they would have kind of two false weights as the weights are being, um, as the money is being weighed out. One would be uh, a little bit uh, lighter. So if they were making a purchase, if they were doing something, um, they would be able to not pay quite as much because the weight wasn't what it should be. And one would be a little bit heavier, right? So if somebody was paying them, they'd kind of put that on the scale, and now they get a little bit more money than what they should have gotten, right? And so the Proverbs is warning us against these uh, business practices that uh, we should not, uh, we should be people of integrity in all that we do, including business. Reminds me of a story from Carl Truman. He says this, while doing the paperwork at the dealership for the new car, the salesman noticed my accent and asked me what had brought me to the U.S. 
teaching at seminary, I responded. Well, well, he said. What a coincidence. The company for which he worked from and from whom I was buying the car was a Christian company owned by a Christian and reflecting Christian values. At that point, I almost walked out. A Christian company? Give me an honest Jew, Muslim, agnostic, atheist, tree hugger, or Memphis-based Presbyterian worshiper, uh, the king. But when it comes to service and integrity in business, keep me away from the Christians. Why do I say this? Well, when I cast my eye over 22 years of my time as a Christian, I realize that I've just about seen it all done in the name of those who name the name of Christ. Homosexuality, adultery, stalking, theft, lies, sexual abuse of minors, threats, fraud, wife-beating, defamation, bullying, backbiting, greediness, heresy, and general all-around sinfulness. And as for the language of grace and forgiveness, well, as American talk show guests might say, don't even go there. Frankly, I've lost count of the time such language has been used to excuse and then baptize and sanctify substandard behavioral, moral, and professional behavior. The bottom line, in my experience, Christians can be horrible people and basically they cannot be trusted to sell you chewing gum, let alone a used car. Ouch. Now, of course, this is Carl Truman, me, Carl Truman. This is speaking a little bit in hyperbole here, a little bit to get the attention. But have we fallen into that trap at all? Have we been falling into the trap of being dishonest and then saying, well, just give me grace because, because you know, we're supposed to give each other grace and mercy? Have we ever run into the trap of, of limiting our Christianity to Sunday morning and then ripping people off throughout the week, justifying it by being a good business person? If a single mom comes to have a car repair, do we upcharge her because she doesn't know certain things that we're saying so we can get away with upcharging things for she do, that she doesn't need? Are we people of integrity? Be careful of leaving your Christianity at the door in order to do better at work. This is just a way of denying Christ as Lord in that area of your life. It is, according to this proverb, an abomination to the Lord. An abomination to the Lord. How do we interact with one another? Are we being faithful in every area of our life? Justice is also concerned with truth. Proverbs eighteen seventeen: the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Proverbs nineteen twenty eight: a worthless witness mocks at justice and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Now, we have a tremendous benefit of living in a society that's been influenced by Judeo-Christian beliefs. And one of the fruits of that is due process. Right? So without going into all the details, this allows for the process that protects the innocent and gives a fair trial and the ability to be defended and to cross-examine and to call witnesses. It's a reflection of what we see in these Proverbs. Right? Right? Biblical justice is aimed at truth. 
And part of that is making sure that truth comes out. I should also say that we're fortunate to live in a country as well that we can, even those that um, appear weak or, or, or have rights and they're able to appeal right, uh, and defend their case, um, even against businesses and, and people who are taking advantage of them in those ways. <clears throat> Too often today in zealousness towards a perceived justice um, is just not grounded in truth and it actually leads to more and more injustice. It's hard to go very long without another example of this. A, a viral video lacking context and someone's uh, accused immediately and now they're painted a certain way in the court of public opinion. Ruining their life, their reputation. Right. We should be concerned about justice and desire to see it done. And we should be aware of how many feel the weight of injustice more than others. Right. Right. So we should be discerning and be slow. I love this from Thaddeus Williams in his book, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, he says this, The Bible's call to injustice is not a superficial knee-jerk activism. We aren't commanded merely to execute Jesus or justice, but to truly execute justice. The God who commands us to seek justice is the same God who commands us to test everything and to hold fast to what is good. We can't separate the Bible's command to do justice from its commands to be discerning. The oppressed deserve more than our good intentions. So in other words, we are called to be discerning. To not simply jump to quick conclusions. Uh, With with that said, I want to offer another note related to that as well. We should also understand that many people, because of the things they experience react to news, react to different things in a different way, and they filter it through a different lens than we do. Uh, Let me give maybe an example of this. If someone tragically lost their child to a drunk driver, and there was news that there was a a crash in Middleville involving somebody who may have been under the influence, that's going to hit the family who lost their child by a drunk driver. That's going to hit them in a certain way. Just that headline, just that news. So while there is a certain sense where we want to say, well, let's make sure that that person was under the influence before we make that accusation or whatever, it's still going to hit that person regardless of if that's the case or not. That, That headline is going to hit that person a certain way because of things they've experienced because of things they've went through. Uh, This same kind of thinking can happen in a lot of racial issues today. Um, And it can be easy to say, okay, let's let's kind of pause and and think about what's going on here. That's that's a good instinct. We should do that. But we should also have a posture to say, okay, how is this hitting other people? Do I care how this is hitting other people? having relationships with, with others and understanding how they're processing things um, is helpful. That doesn't mean we don't s- slow the brakes and, and make sure that we're not jumping to conclusions. Absolutely. Right. Um, 
but we can also be sensitive to how others are affected um, by headlines and different things that are happening uh, in the world. Some things that are simply meant to uh, to stimulate and to provoke, right? <clears throat> so justice is concerned with truth, and justice is also opposed to partiality. It's opposed to partiality. Proverbs 18.5, It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. Proverbs 28.21, To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. To show partiality means that someone is making a decision or acting in a way that is not in accord with what is right because of a relationship or something about that person. Partiality, put simply, is favoritism. And sometimes it's related to money. In this case, partiality is seen by a person being more likely um, to rule in the favor of a wealthy person than a poor person on a court. Another way that it happens is along racial lines. Racism is the sin of partiality. It's being partial towards some people and not others based on the color of their skin. And so in all different partiality, and that can go many different ways, in all different kinds of partiality, we have to be careful. This, this is, if we're going to pursue justice in relationship with one another, we're not to be partial in these ways. So how do we bring it all together? <clears throat> I think there's two insufficient paths and one uh, better alternative. Two insufficient paths and one better alternative. The first insufficient path is the social gospel. This is the gospel that, that, or this is the, the belief that kind of turns the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, into simply like what we're doing for each other. Like we're ushering in the kingdom, we're doing uh, good works, we're trying to make the kingdom here on earth. Right? Uh, put simply, it's kind of like John Lennon's Imagine. This was uh, extremely popular. What, what this does is it emphasizes the horizontal aspect and it neglects the vertical aspect. Some even saying that God sides with the poor to the point that the poor don't need salvation, only the rich need salvation, even them, it's really hard. Because God kind of automatically saves the poor. Right? Right? So it downplays their need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. To understand their own sin before holy God is the biggest offense, the biggest injustice in all of creation. The other side of the coin is kind of like the, uh, what Trevin Wax calls the quietest gospel. So the social gospel undermines the gospel in redefining sin and downplaying personal guilt before our creator God. But the other error is kind of the opposite extreme is emphasizing the vertical to the total neglect of the horizontal. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Men have enough practical sense always to judge that if professed Christians do not care for their bodily wants, there cannot be much sincerity in their zeal for men's souls. If a man will give me spiritual bread in the form of a tract, but will not give me bread for my body, how can I think much of him? Let practical help to the poor go with spiritual help which you render to them. If you would help a brother's soul alive in a higher sense, 
Be not backward to do it in the more ordinary way. In other words, if you're saying, I care for you, I care for your soul, I want you to, to, to flourish spiritually, and yet I'm malnourished and I can't get my next meal and you don't care about that, it's going to be hard to take that seriously. Uh, we're to care for, for both aspects. Sure, yes, we, we want to emphasize the spiritual, uh, first and foremost, like eternity matters. But not to the total neglect of the material needs either. Okay. We're to be Christians who share the gospel and call people to repentance. And we're also to be Christians who defend the rights of those who can't speak for themselves. This is something we've seen in the Proverbs, care for the poor. It's something that Christians have been faithful to do for generations. They've established orphanages. They've established hospitals. They've defended the right to life. Christians have have always done these things. Often it's, it's quieted. Often it's, it's said, well, that's, that doesn't matter. It, it, only this matters in this specific way. We can't fall into that trap. No, our instructions are from the Lord. We're to follow his wisdom for what justice is and how it should be done. So what's the alternative? There's a Christ-centered alternative, right? And that looks both vertically and horizontally. Vertically, justice involves our relationship to God. Ultimately, the greatest injustice is that we have sinned against the holy God who created us. Like the one who created us, takes care of us, like provides for everything that we need. We've sinned against him. We've rebelled against him. We've spit in his face by our actions. It's one thing to sin against other people, and that's, that's horrible. We've sinned against the eternal God. Like that's the greatest injustice. And this God demands that we, that we live justly, and we don't. And yet the justice of God has been satisfied in the life and the death of Jesus for us. Do we get that? Like our God is, is righteous, he's just, he says, this is what I demand. And then he goes and fills those demands in our place, taking the punishment that our sins deserve. So that all who come to him in repentance and in faith will be forgiven. The social gospel like gets rid of that? Are you kidding me? Like that's the power, that's the fuel for the Christian life. Why do I care for other like why do I want to love others around? Because I've been loved like that. And do you understand how this, this vertical dimension, once we understand that, once we grasp that, and if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I beg of you, trust in him today. Perhaps you're, you're trying to check the box. Perhaps you're trying to, to, to fill up enough to like, survive the culture around us and appear righteous before the eyes of everyone else on your, on your social media feed or whatever the case might be. It will never be enough. Not only for them, but ultimately 
because your greatest need isn't that. It's your greatest need is, is a relationship with the God who made you. And that's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. And once you understand that, if we have grasped that, that gives us the power to live faithfully in this world. Think about this. We are not grounded, like, we're not operating for justice out of our own wrath or out of our own, like, intentions or our own pride. But if we're grounded in God's love for us, now we're free to love others truly. Taking the instructions from God's word and saying, I just trust you. If I trust you enough to give you my life, to give you my soul, I'm going to trust you enough for how do you say I should live this out? And when I do, I, I know I'm going to do so imperfectly, God. But I know I'm forgiven because of what you've done for me. Like, do we understand that not only does God do this for us ver- vertically, but like even horizontally? Like Colossians 1 says, all things are being reconciled in Christ. Do we catch that first definition of, of, of what justice is? of reconciliation of things to the way things are supposed to be. (laughs) Colossians 1 verse 20 says, in him all things are being reconciled. That one day there will be perfect shalom, perfect peace. One One day all things will be reconciled and we have a guarantee of that. Like, we don't need to do that in order to, like, usher in some utopia here on earth. Like, that will happen when, the, when heaven meets earth and Christ returns. Like, we have that hope. It's amazing. And even in the meantime, that has already begun in us. Like, we've been reconciled with God, and now we get to, we get to have little glimpses of that as we live out in this life. How are we doing as a church? How are we doing as a family? How are you doing as a family? Right. One of the dangers for, for this discussion is that it could be so easy to say, well, I want justice to reign on the world without us living faithfully and righteously in our own families, in our own congregations. Let's start there. Let's love each other well. Right. As we seek to follow the God who rescued both the vertical and the horizontal axis. And he accomplished that for us on the cross. Right. What, a, what an amazing, amazing truth. Uh, let's pray together uh, as we ask for his wisdom to live justly in this world. Dear Father, we, we thank you and praise you for what you've done for us through the, through the life and death of Christ. Father, that frees us to be able to seek to live faithfully in this day, um, even as we do so imperfectly, because uh, it already has been done perfectly in, in the person of Christ. And that one day, all wrongs will be made right. One day, every tear will be wiped away. Father, in your word, it says, you store up in a bottle the tear of your, your saints. The Father, these, these are not missed, you, you are aware of the suffering, the difficulties in this life. And you are working all things for our good. We trust you with that. Help us this week. Give us the wisdom we need and help us to rest in you. In St. Christ's name we pray. Amen.